We are in Genesis. Genesis chapter 35 tonight. Genesis 35. <clears throat> going to look at Jacob going back to Bethel. And um, <clears throat> before we look at it, I want you to cast your mind back. Now, we'll, we'll come back to this during the message, but I want you to cast your mind back to when you first got saved. Right? <clears throat> Uh, how many of you can remember when you first got saved? You can remember uh, that point where you first got saved. It's, it's pretty clear in your mind, pretty vivid in your mind, what was going on in your head at the time, right? You can look back and you can remember those things, right? Now, they, they, they're important things, right? I, I remember for, for myself, I remember getting saved, and there, there were two thoughts that, that, <clears throat> that really gripped me when I got saved. One, I was going to heaven. That just seemed to wash over me in waves. I was going to heaven when I died. And, you know, whatever else happened in life really wasn't all that important because I was going to heaven. And the next thought that hit me was, everybody needs to hear this. Because they don't know. And if they only knew that they could be saved by grace through faith, they'd all want it to. Those, those two thoughts just kind of, uh, they were the, uh, the, <clears throat> the genesis, I suppose, of my meeting with God. Now, <clears throat> what we're going to look at Tonight is we're going to look at Jacob going back to Bethel. You see, Bethel is where he met God in the first place. He's on the run from Esau, and um, he, he, he comes to Bethel and he meets with God. And we'll look at the passage in a few moments. And, but that's where he first met with God. Now, we're somewhere 25, 30 years from that now in the life of Jacob. A lot's happened. A lot of things have changed in his life. You know, he was on his own with nothing else. Now he's married. He's got four wives. Poor man. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, he has a lot of children. He has a lot of cattle. He has a lot uh, going on in his life. And he has trouble in his life. Now, in chapter 34, we're going to read a little piece of chapter 34 to introduce us to where he's at in chapter 35, because I think, uh, apart from chapter 34, 35 doesn't really make sense. We didn't really deal with this passage at length. We've mentioned it several times. But in Genesis chapter 34, um, Dinah, uh, Jacob's daughter, is taken by Shechem, uh, and... Um, He's defiled by Shechem. Some say it was rape. It's, it's hard to work out exactly what happened there. Uh, but he, anyway, she was taken by Shechem. And Shechem falls in love with her at that point, and he wants to marry her, and so he sends to Jacob. And Jacob tells his boys, and they're trying to work out, what do we do? How do we deal with this? This is kind of a problem for us now. I mean, she's there. Uh, what do we do in this situation? Well, her two brothers, remember, this is a, kind of a, this is a, a blended family like you've never heard of, right? Because her two brothers, she had two brothers. They were all her brothers. They were all brothers and sisters because they had the same father. But she had two brothers uh, by her mother. And um, her two brothers decide, we're not putting up with this. And so they go down and make a plan. And, they, and they, 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 they talk to the men of Shechem. And what they say to them is this. They say, you know, the only way that we could consider uh, intermarrying with you is if you would get circumcised. Like us. Now, circumcision for, from a, the time of Abraham had been the sign of the covenant, had been the sign that you were in. You were part of the family you were in. And they deceitfully were making it that these people, that they could become part of them if they uh, were circumcised. Well, what happens is, we'll read from verse 25 in chapter 34, and you'll see what happens here. And it came to pass on the third day 
uh, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, uh, took each man his sword, and they came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. The guys couldn't fight. They couldn't protect themselves. So they came and they slew all the males, and they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, uh, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, uh, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Now let me put a picture in your mind of what they've actually done. They have done what ISIS are doing now uh, in Iraq and in Syria. They went into the village, they, ki they killed all the men, and they took the women and the children and everything else uh, for themselves. And when we hear those stories, we are horrified. We react and we think, oh, that is terrible. And, you know, it, it takes a lot to get the world motivated to, to, to actually go to a war against something, like they've gone to, gone to war against ISIS. But, you know, what? That, that's why they've gone to war, because uh, the, the world is horrified by what they're doing. Well, that's what Jacob's boys just did. They took and they went and they did something horrific. They did something that was awful. That was fun. And Jacob reasonably, listen, what he's saying is the word about this is going to get out. They're going to gather an army and they're going to come. They're going to slaughter me. What have you done to me, boys? What have you done? Now, here's what's happening for poor Jacob. Jacob <clears throat> is crooked from the word go. He's crooked uh, from the way he dealt with his brother Esau. He's been crooked ever since. He dealt with Laban crookedly. He's, he's been dealing crookedly. He's been engineering and uh, manipulating and, and making things happen all his life. And you know what he's just realized? I passed it on. And they've got it worse than me. My family have got it worse than me. And he's come to this place where he's realized, you know, all the wickedness in my heart and in my life has now been passed on and my kids have it. And worse than that, now the news is out and everybody's going to want to kill me. And so Jacob is having a real moment. He's having a moment of terror. He's terrified of what's going to happen. And I think what's happening between chapter 34 and between chapter 35 is this. I think Jacob is crying out to God, what am I going to do now? I'm in a terrible state. Everybody in the, in, in the land is going to want to kill me. They're going to get an army together. They're going to come out and they're going to slay us. And you know what? And it's all my fault because I'm wicked and I've always been wicked. And now my boys have it and God's given me lots of chances. And you know what? I'm still wicked and I'm still making it all happen. And, and I think Jacob's just crying out to God, what am I going to do? I don't know that he's even crying out very, very much in faith. He's just, he's destroyed. He's beside himself. He thinks, you know what? This thing is finished. And then we're going to come into chapter 35, and there's going to be a turnaround from God's side. I'm not sure how deep it's going to go for Jacob. I think it's going to have an impact, all right. Uh, <clears throat> but there's going to be a turnaround, and God's going to take and turn him around. But let's have a word of prayer before we look at it. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look at your word? Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, <clears throat> we look at this man, Jacob, and uh, Lord, we're horrified at the, <clears throat> at the foolishness of his life. And yet, Lord, we see ourselves in him. And we see him in us so often, Lord. And Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, and we do ask you, Lord, would you bless, would you help us to see uh, the fruit of a foolish life, Lord, and help us to see the way back. 
And now, oh Lord, may we come back to you and may we know your blessing and may we know your hand upon us. Lord, you love to bless. And we don't have to wring anything from your hands. Lord, you just love to bless us. Lord, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> chapter 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make thee an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. So <clears throat> Jacob is saying, what are we going to do, Lord? Look, everything is wrecked, everything is ruined, and they're going to kill me, and my boys are just as bad as I am, and you know what, they're even worse than I am. I wouldn't have done anything like this in my worst dreams. And God says, well, go back to Bethel. Go back to where you begun. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where it all started. Now, it's only a few pages for us to go back, so let's go back there. Let's go back to uh, chapter 28, verse 10. And we're going to see where Jacob first met with God. Now, remember, Jacob is not part of a heathen family. Uncle Abraham was the Abraham, the friend of God, the man that walked with God, or sorry, granddad Abraham. So, you know, that, you know his family, there was a knowledge of God. You know, Isaac, his father, knew God. You know, this, this, is, not, this is not like it's kind of brand new, like, like, you know, the idea of God has first appeared to him. But he's lived so much in his own abilities to make things happen that he really has never interacted with God. Do you realize it's possible for somebody to be raised in a Christian home and never really get it? Never really catch on to it. That they, they get raised in a Christian home, but they don't actually catch what's going on. They don't like, actually catch the reality of God. It's possible for you to come to church and never get it. You know, it's possible for somebody to come to church and get religion instead of God. And that's a tragedy. That really is a tragedy. But, but, but what's happened uh, for, for Jacob here, here is, yeah, he's been around, and he's been around Isaac, his dad, and, you know, he's heard the stories, and he's heard of the promise, and he's heard all those things, but he never got it. He thought he had to make it all happen himself. He thought he had to trick the blessing uh, out of his father. That, you know what, there's no God in that. So, that's what he so, so anyway, he comes, and in chapter 28, he's on the run. Esau has said, as soon as dad is dead, you see what I'm going to do to you, brother. <clears throat> it's not going to be funny. And they thought that was going to die pretty soon. He didn't die pretty soon, but they thought he was going to die pretty soon. And so mom says, you're going to have to go, son. Right? <clears throat> you're going to have to go. You just take off. You go to my brother Laban. Uh, he's a nice guy. He'll treat you well. Not. Right? <clears throat> and um, she sends him off to Laban. Right? <clears throat> and for the first time in his life, Jacob's on his own. No mommy, no daddy. He's not part of this great family. That really wasn't so great, <clears throat> but he, he, he's not part of all that. He's just on his own. And he's going to Uncle Laban that he's never met in a place he's never met, on his own. And it's scary. It's scary when you're on your own finally, isn't it? It's scary when you realize you're on your own. And by the way, life has a way of doing that to you. Life has a way of making you realize you're on your own. Because nobody else. God does that in our lives to get our attention and bring us to the place where we're looking him in the face. And that's what happens here, right? So let's read verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached into heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, 
I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this is Jacob. That's talking about Jesus. You know what? <clears throat> it's amazing what God can do. But God is telling Jacob that there's going to seed come through you that's going to bless everybody on the, uh, on the earth. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. Now, you know what? If I was Jacob, that's the promise I'd have latched on to. Whew. Okay, so I'm out on my own. I'm going off to Uncle Laban. Don't know where he lives. Don't know how I'm going to find him. Don't know how he's going to treat me. Don't know if I'm going to be taken by a band of robbers on the way. I don't know what's going on here. I'm just on the run. I'm on my own. But God says he's going to be with me. I, I, I'm going to be okay. Then that, that's the one that would have gripped me if I was in his place, right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. By the way, do you know that when we come face to face with God, we're always afraid. When we come face to face with God, it just... It just does something to us. Even in times of revival, there's love and there's joy and there's blessing. But you know, before the love and the joy and the blessing, there's that reckoning with God and there's that fear that grips the heart of people. And he's afraid because he's met with God. He's heard. He's heard from God. Um, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel but the name of that city was called Luz at the first and Jacob vowed a vow now listen he was not required to vow a vow the rest of the vow that God has given him here is a one-sided vow it's the vow he's given to Abraham it's the vow he's given to Isaac and now he's giving it to Jacob he's promising them what he's going to do he's going to bless the nations of the earth he's going to give them a land and he's going to give them an inheritance and he's going to make them uh, the father of nations he, he didn't have to vow a vow but he's going to make a vow anyway now here's what I want to warn you about vows right? if you make a vow to God God is very likely to call you up on the vow when you make a vow, when you tell God, listen, I'm going to do such and such, God is very likely to say, okay, yes. That God's very patient. This is, you know, 25, 30 years later in Jacob's life. And um, you know what's happening in Jacob's life? It's all going wrong. He never kept his vow. He made a vow and he never kept his vow. And it's all going wrong. It's all unraveling in his life. Because he never kept this vow. And he needs to look to the vow. So the vow he's going to make, listen, it's all, he doesn't have to. God didn't require it. God didn't say, I will make you a great nation if you. Now he didn't do that. He said, he, God gave him a promise. But Jacob has met with God and he feels he wants to make a vow. Now you know what? When we meet with God, we often want to make vows, don't we? When God meets with us, when God catches up with us, when God tracks us down. And God gets us. In our heart, there's often, Lord, if you'll just help me, I'll do whatever, Lord. Let's look at Jacob's vow. And it's very simple and very basic, right? <clears throat> and Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way, this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, 
Then shall the Lord be my God. Right? The second part of it is, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. But the most important part of it here is, Thou shalt be my God. Now, what does it mean for us to make God our God? And I think, by the way, every one of us that got saved in this room made that commitment to God. I think it's kind of part and parcel of getting saved. It's not a requirement, but the reality is you've met with God, and you say, you're going to be my God. Now, what does it mean when we say God is going to be our God? You know, <clears throat> uh, the Bible says, he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's God. What does it mean to make God your God? What does it mean when you decide, okay, God, you're going to, you're going to be my God? Well, it, it means several things. First of all, it means I believe you're really there. And secondly, it means I believe that you're really there and you're God, which means you're in charge, which means I'm not in charge. You're in charge. You're going to call the shots. You're the one that, that tells me what to do and I'm going to do it. I'm going to live my life for you now, Lord, because you're my God. I'm going to make you my God. You're going to be my God. You're going to look after me. You're going to take care of me. And, I, 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 and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you because you're God and I'm not. Right now, from the time Jacob left, met God at Bethel, and the time he went to Uncle Laban, and the time he worked his way back, do you think he really had made God his God? He hadn't. We're going to see in a few minutes uh, some of the clear evidence in his life that he really hadn't made God his God. Oh yeah, he was, he, he was, he was aware of God. He'd wrestled with an angel. But do you know who the God in Jacob's life was? Jacob. Jacob did what Jacob had to do to make life work, because you know what? That's what you have to do. And we know God's there, and you know, sometimes when you're, when, you're, when you're back to the wall, you pray to God, but you pray to God and you do what you've got to do. You run the show. You, you, you're the one that's got to make it happen. You're the one that's got to run life. That, that's the way Jacob was. And Jacob was running his own life. He was doing his own thing. He was living his own way. And the problem is, his boys got it. There's no God. Dad's God. You know what? So we're God. See how it's so these guys? They messed with our sister. We'll mess with them. They messed a little. We're going to mess a lot. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> that, that, that's, that's the way his boys thought. They, they had become chips off the old block, so to speak. And um, you know what? Jacob had not made God his God. Jacob, and now God has brought him to a place through his sons where what Jacob is doing is Jacob is saying, this is terrible. My life is ruined. My life is wrecked. Here I am, I'm a stranger in this land, and my, my, my kids have just, you know, murdered uh, the people out of a city and taken them all captive. I'm, I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm finished, number one, because my children are uh, an absolute disgrace, and I'm finished, number two, because they're going to kill me now. People are going to kill me now. So, so his life has unraveled before his eyes. And God is saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Bethel. Let's go back to where you started, Jacob. Let's go back to where we first met. Let's go back to the simplicity of what it was all about when we first met. See, when, when Jacob met God, it wasn't about cattle and, <clears throat> and camels and, and um, sheep. That's not what it was about. When Gabe, Jacob met God, it was a protection thing. It was a relationship thing. It was him and God. And he says, I want you to go back to Bethel. 
Now, let's see what happens when, when, when Jacob gets the message. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make thee an altar unto God uh, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. Now, put away the strange gods that are among you. Do you know, at this point, there aren't very many people on the whole planet Earth that worship the only one true God. Right? There aren't very, very many people that know him in that sense. But Jacob is one of them. And Jacob's from a family that know the one true God. In fact, Jacob is part of what God is going to do to bring a Messiah to touch the whole world. Jacob is part, if you want to call it, this grand experiment of, of, of growing a nation that's going to be a blessing to the whole world. Right? But you know what? He says to his family, put away the strange gods. First of all, there were strange gods. And secondly, Jacob knew about it. He hadn't done anything about it. You know, we learned that Rachel had taken her father's idols with her and they were hidden uh, in the camel stuff in the, uh, in the tent. And she hid them from her dad. <clears throat> but there were idols in his home and he had nothing about it. Now, I don't know, no, there's no reference here to the fact that Jacob ever worshipped these idols, but you know what, there were idols in the house. And Jacob was responsible because he knew about it. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you, what in your home is wrong and you know about it, but you've not done anything about it? Because that's just the way it is. That's the way life goes. You know, what can I do about that? That's just the, the way it is. Where in your home have you compromised with things that you know were wrong, that God's not happy with, but, but you're, you're compromising with them anyway? You know, for peace sake. Don't we do a lot for peace sake? Don't, don't we allow a lot of things to go by just, well, just for peace sake, you know? If we try and do anything about it, there's going to be trouble. You see, Rachel was the favorite wife. Even that concept's completely wrong uh, in Jacob. But, but she was the favorite wife. And you know what? She had her few little idols, and, and Jacob didn't want to fight. Yeah, he didn't want to fight. He didn't want this problem going on. He didn't want, didn't want trouble in his home. He had enough trouble with four wives, and Leah tried to get him and buy him for mandrakes and everything else. You know, he had enough troubles in his life uh, <clears throat> with all that. So, you know, <clears throat> he didn't want to fight with Rachel, so he left her with her idols. And what he did was he made a choice. A choice to not let God be God in his life. And when God says to him, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel, he doesn't say, oh no, what does that mean? What do I have to do before I go back to Bethel? I wonder, I wonder. You know, he says, okay, get rid of the idols. His instant response is, get rid of the He knew they were there. He knew they were wrong. He knew they didn't please God. But he hadn't done anything about it. And here's the thing. <clears throat> See the trouble we're finding in Jacob's life in chapter 34? It's caused by the idols. It's caused by the fact that he has chosen not God in his life. Listen, it is very serious with us. God takes our vows very seriously. When we make God our God and we decide we're, we're, we're for him, we're going to live for him, then you know <clears throat> what happens is that 
God takes us up on our word. Now, now God is not happy or, or trigger-fingered. You know, with a, he, he's not ready to just kind of fly at you the moment you get it wrong, but reasonably and legitimately God is saying, but, but what, about your, what about your promise? What about your vow? You know, listen, you said, you said that I would be your God. Well, how can you say I'm your God if here you are? You're, you're, you're the tribe leader. You're, you're the man. You're the one running it. And you know what? There's wickedness in your home and you're not dealing with it. <clears throat> we need to be careful about the vows that we make to God. And man, we're responsible for our homes. Now, we can bring it closer than that. We're each responsible for ourselves, aren't we? Everyone in this room is responsible for themselves. What in your life does God look at and he says, I'm not happy with that. You say, I'm your God. And Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You know, <laughs> what are you going through the motions for? When the reality is, you're, you're, you're saying I'm Lord, but you're, you're not making me Lord in your life. Well, what in your life is in that place where you're, you're, he says, you, you say he's Lord, but you know, the reality is, he's not Lord in your life. Like Jacob, you're doing your own thing. You're making it happen. You're going your own way. What in your life? Listen, you can expect that sooner or later God's going to come calling and God's going to say, hey. And I'll tell you how he'll come calling. He'll come, 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 come calling with a rod. He'll come calling in your life with, <clears throat> with a rod that says, you know what? I am not happy with this. Sooner or later he will come. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not because he doesn't love you. Listen, if I was Jacob's God, I'd have eliminated him a long time before this. I mean, poor old Jacob was an annoyance to everybody, including himself. N none more so than to God. But you know what? We see God dealing with Jacob in with love and in love and in love. But right now, his back's to the wall. And when he's crying out to God, God is saying, go back to Bethel. Go back to where it all started, Jacob. Listen, go back to where he came and Jacob saying, okay, get rid of the idols. You know, he knew what was going on. He knew why he was. And you know what? I believe this too. I believe the Spirit of God is able to make us know what's going on. See, here's what happens. We make a vow to God. And we say, okay, God, uh, <clears throat> if you'll do this, I'm going to do this. Right? And um, <clears throat> so God does something great in our lives. We say, amen. Thank you, Lord. And we think, well, <clears throat> well I'm going to do it, Lord. Not quite yet, but I'm going to do it. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to do it. And you go, oh, I'm going to do it. Not quite yet, but I'm going to do it. And hey, the Holy Spirit says a little more quietly the next time, you need to do it. And you say, well, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Until the Holy Spirit's voice goes very quiet in your life. And you can't hear him very well, and your heart gets hardened to it. And yeah, you made a promise, but it's a long time ago now, and just the odd time, you know, you wake in the night and you remember, oh yeah, I said I'd do that, didn't I? And you wake and you remember the vow. But the Holy Spirit's gone silent and your heart gets hardened and you're not thinking about it anymore. You're not thinking about the promise anymore. But God is. God's thinking about it because God knows you made a vow. And God is looking for you to keep your end of the vow. So what does God do? Well, what would you do? 
God makes it uncomfortable in your life so that you need Him. God makes it uncomfortable in your life so that you cry out to Him. God makes it uncomfortable in your life so that you need to actually respond to Him. And when you do, God answers. Back to Bethel. Go back to where it all began. Go back to where it, what was happening when I first met you. That's where you'll find the answer. Go back to where you first met God. What did you promise him? Maybe in words, maybe not in words, but the reality is you promised him something. You certainly made him your God. Now you may not have understood fully, but what you did was you made him your God. Go back to Bethel, he says. <clears throat> Verse 3, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Do you know that God, Jacob knew God had answered him? And Jacob knew God had been with him. He knew. You know, it's amazing. God speaks to him and all of a sudden, it's like things begin to go off in, a, in, in Jacob's mind. He begins to remember, yeah, God promised me he'd take care of me. And he has. He took care of me. And, and um, you know, uh, he, he's been with me. Right? <clears throat> Verse 4, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Now, <clears throat> let, let me say, the, the earrings, you know, what's wrong with earrings? Not saying there's nothing wrong with earrings. But the earrings here obviously have some significance in terms of the idols, because that's why they're handed up. Right? They may have been charms. There's something uh, to do with that. It's not, not saying against earrings here. Uh, it is saying against, against the idols. But here's the point I want to make to you. <laughs> God speaks to Jacob. Jacob's in dread, dreadful trouble. God speaks to Jacob, go back to Bethel. Jacob immediately says, get rid of the idols. And you know what everybody does? Here's the idols, Dad. Everybody, everybody gives them up. Why do they give them up? No argument. No Rachel saying, oh, come on. Everybody hands up their idols. You know what happens? When you decide to follow God, things fall into place in your life. It's amazing. Things fall into place in your life. When you decide to get rid of the idols, it's amazing how what happens is people back you up. Because it's a God thing. God was doing this, and what he had to do was he had to do what God wanted him to do, and, and God stepped in. And God did it. And everybody gave them up. Now, let me talk to dads for a second. I wonder, Dad, listen, is there something in your home and your family that you know is wrong, and you know you're supposed to deal with, but you haven't dealt with it because the reality is you're afraid of what's going to happen when you do? They'll balk. They'll jack. They'll go, <clears throat> go west. They'll do their own thing. If I actually deal with that thing that's wrong, you never know what's going to happen. It could end really bad. You know what? You do not know what's going to happen. But like with Jacob, you'd be amazed at what God could do if you would take and follow. If you would take and say, Yes, Lord. Let's get rid of the idols. And everybody says, Yeah, here they are, Dad. And he takes them and buries them. Remember, these idols are gold. They're worth money. They're, <clears throat> they're worth money and they hand them all up. These, these, these idols represent dependencies. 
his family is, uh, is living on. They're depending upon these things. You know, the, the, the good look charm that, that they've got in their ear, they're, they're depending upon that. They're depending upon, the, they're depend, depending upon these things. They, resep- they represent things that they are depending upon. But they hand them all over. Because Dad decides to do right. Listen, it's amazing what happens when Dad decides to do right. It's amazing. You know, um, everybody falls in, in with him. Everybody does what he's telling them to do. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now, don't get that out of context. That's in context. Jacob got right with God. Jacob told his family to get right with God, and everybody around them was terrified. Because remember, Jacob started off in this thing with the terror that they were going to be, be murdered. A horde was going to descend upon them and murder them, and he was being reasonably expecting it. But you know what? The terror of the Lord fell all around them, and everybody was afraid of them. Here they are, just abandoned. Everybody's afraid of them. The fear of the Lord. You know... <clears throat> And you know what? When God's on your side, that's exciting. Now, his boys are still chips off the old block, and they're going to remain chips off the old block. They are, uh, they are trouble, right? Just like Dad was, they are trouble. But you know what? These boys get to see the reality of what it is to walk with God. There's no excuse for them. And two things. Joseph is young and tender now. Benjamin's not born yet. Right? You know, so, so we're going to find in Jacob's family that there's two kids that work out, Joseph and Benjamin. And they effectively come on the scene around this time. They come on the scene after Dad's cleansed house and made things right. And, you know, Jacob's life it doesn't change as much as we'd like to see it change. Because what he's kind of done is he's inherited all the junk from his past. But you know what? There's two boys. Rachel's mom to both these boys. You know, and she's an idol worshiper. <clears throat> and, but dad's a changed man. And because dad's a changed man, you know what happens? These ones are different. These kids are different. But dad had to make a stand. Dad had to make a stand for truth. Dad had to turn back to God, turn back to Bethel. For it to have an impact upon his family. I mean, it's an amazing story. <clears throat> but everybody gets to see, wow, nobody touched us. You know, you, 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 you get the picture, right? This is not in the Bible. You get the picture where, you know, they, as they pass by cities, everybody's there with their spears and their bows and arrows and everything else, but nobody's willing to go near them. They're afraid of them. There's There's fear. And they, and, and they march through as though they're in, you know, this, this, this bubble of protection. And they are. It's called the fear of the Lord. Everybody's afraid of them. And they're protected as they go back to Bethel because <clears throat> uh, God is looking after them because Jacob's done right. Now, rarely do we see him really from the heart doing right, but he is now. Let's get rid of the idols. Okay, here they are then. And they bury them. And they start moving forward. And, and there's blessing. Um, verse 6. So Jacob came to Lutz, which is 
in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak and the name of that was called Alan Bekoth. And that means the, 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 the oak of weeping. Right? Now, there's kind of a sad part right in the story, Deborah, <coughs> uh, which was Rebekah's uh, nurse. That, that's his mom's nurse that, you know, she, she died, right? And, um, but you know, it was much better for her to die at this point than for her to die a little while ago when everything was in tatters around them. And much better for her to go, go at this point, right? And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came to Padanaram, when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. Now, here's an interesting thing to me, and I don't know that I'm right here, but <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I've got an interesting thought. When he came out of Padanaram, Padanaram is where Uncle Laban lived. Right? Now, he's a long time out of Padanaram. You know, he's years since he left Padanaram. No, he wasn't. Because as long as the idols were there, and as long as his association was still there, you know what? He was still in Padanaram. He was still in the world. And you know what? Here's the thing. You can leave the world and carry things out of the world with you and stay in the world. You can do it. You're going to be a Christian and you're still in the world. You see, <clears throat> here's the thing for us. The world is a thing of the heart for the believer. It's not what you've got or where you are physically. It's what's in your heart. You know, <clears throat> and, you know, what's in Jacob's heart, what's in his family's heart is Pananarim. Back with the idols and uh, back with all those. That, that, that's, what, that's what's in the hearts. But, but he says, no, listen, let's get rid of the idols. Everybody passes up the idols and, and they begin to move on and they leave Padanaram finally. They finally leave it because they actually get right with God. Right? <clears throat> right? But the other thing in verse 9 is this, and God appeared unto him. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? God appeared unto him. Listen, you know what Jacob needed? Jacob needed a fresh revelation from God. That's really what he needed. He needed an appearance of God. I mean, that's exactly what he got. God said, go back to Bethel. Jacob says, let's get rid of the idols. Let's get rid of the rubbish. Let's get rid of the things that are hindering. Everybody says yes. They get rid of them all. They bury them. They begin to go back to Bethel. And when they get to Bethel, God appears to him again. God appears to Jacob. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and he blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. <clears throat> thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Right? Now God had given him a different name when he wrestled with him. Right? But he hasn't been using it. He's still Jacob. And God said, No, your name's going to be Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. <clears throat> New name for God to reveal to him. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Now, he's going to give him, he's giving him the same promise as he gave to Abraham, but he's embellishing it a little. This is God. He's adding a little to the promise. He's telling them, I'm going, kings, uh, <clears throat> multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of the, thy loins. He hadn't said that to Abraham. That was true in what he said to Abraham, but he's just, he's, he's, he's putting some more on it for Jacob here. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. God came down and talked to Jacob. 
Whoa. And he renews the promise to him. And he says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to bring nations of you. I'm going to do great things uh, through you. Um, God comes down and talks with them. Now, here we have Jacob. 20, 30 years He's, he's out there doing it. He meets with the angel in the meantime, yeah. <clears throat> that's God intersecting in his life and trying to change him, but he's still the same old Jacob after it. And then here he goes back to Bethel. He gets things right with God. And God meets with him. God meets with him and God talks with him and God gives him promises. And God's a friend to him. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you, are you meeting with God right now? Are you, are you meeting with God? Is God talking to you? Yes, God's being... Do you go to your devotions in the, in the morning, you look at your devotions, and you say, oh, yeah, oh, man, I've got to do these, but you know, oh, it's so boring. I've read it so many times now, and you know what? It's just kind of boring. Because you're just reading a book. You're not really meeting with God anymore. You know what? You need to go back to Bethel. You need to go back to the place where you met God first. You need to look at the vows that you've made to God over the years. You need to say, Lord, what is it that I'm missing here? You need to deal with the idols in your home. Deal with the things that are wrong in your home. Rip them out, throw them out, get rid of them. Don't let those things go on. You need to deal with those things. Go back to Bethel. What's important to God in your life? Here's, here's, here's Jacob and he's got cattle and he's got camels and he's got sheep and he's got goats and you know he's got kids and he's got wives and he's, he's got everything. But he hasn't got God. Isn't it amazing how the things of life can distract us from God? Isn't it amazing? God can bless you and, and all, everything Abraham, everything that Jacob had, God would bless him with. Except the four wives, I really don't see how that works as a blessing, right? <clears throat> but uh, every, you know, his, his, his life, he's got all these things in his life, and God's blessed him greatly and taken care of him. You know, <clears throat> and um, here he is, he's in the place now where it's all gone awry on him. You see, at the end of chapter 34, all the blessing means nothing. Because they're going to kill me. And then he goes back to Bethel. He gets things right with God. He makes an altar. He says, God, when I met you back then, I made you promises. And Lord, I'm renewing them right now. And God comes down in a flood and blesses him. Do you honestly think that you have to curry God's favor? That you have to plead with God for blessing? That you have to get in your life and you have to kind of <clears throat> somehow, you know, uh, create a great case so God's going to bless you. You don't. But you know what? You do have to remove the things that block. You do have to get rid of those things. Pull those things out of the way that are blocking it. Take those things that are blocking the stream from flowing down. Remove them. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a flood of blessing. My uncle had a hill farm. <clears throat> and the water from the hill for, for this farm 
came down from the way up the mountain. And it came down through a spout into the yard. Clear, crystal clear water that came down, right? <clears throat> and the water would flow there all year round. But from time to time, it would block. And you know what he'd have to do? He'd have to get out and he would follow the stream <coughs> up along the mountain till he found out what was blocking it. And then he would pull what was blocking it out of it. And you know what would happen? A flood would come down the mountain. It would come shooting down the mountain and into his yard. He just had to remove the block. What is it that's blocking between you and your God? He's, he, he's not going to hold back on you. He's not trying to make it difficult for you. What is it that's blocking between you and him? You know, I think you know. I think you know. Just respond to him. Say yes, Lord. Go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel. Say yes, Lord. Lord, that's what I want. That's who I am. That's what I want. Get rid of the stuff. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the things that's blocking. Go back to Bethel. And you know what you'll find? You'll find blessing. See, we don't serve a God who discards us when we get it wrong. We kind of think that way sometimes, don't we? We kind of think, well, you know, we kind of blew it and God's discarded us. No, he never discards us. We're his children. But he does hold back on us. And he says, go back to Bethel. Let's stand quietly. I'm just going to take a moment and I'm going to let the Lord work in our hearts and give you an opportunity for you to deal with whatever it is that stands between you and your God. And you know what? If you deal with it tonight, you go back to Bethel in your heart tonight. You get those things straightened out in your heart and in your life. You know what? You'd be amazed at the flood of blessing that God could bring into your life. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just take a few moments and just be quiet and let you deal with God yourselves. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love. Thank you for the blessings that you pour out upon us, Lord. Thank you for a heart that longs to bless us. And, oh, Lord where there's something that stands between you and somebody in this room tonight, Lord, may it be forsaken, may it be dealt with, may it be buried, Lord, never to be found again. Oh, Lord, we plead with you, Lord. Lord, for fathers need to lead in their homes, Lord, give them the courage to lead. And Lord, for each one here that needs to do something that they know is blocking your blessing, Lord, would you have them, give them, Lord, the understanding so that might deal with it right now. In Jesus' name.